this is the Bama Podcast, episode 98, A Good Eye, with Marty Salmon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we discover how worry leads to judgment, and judgment leads to muddy pearls. Don't know what that means yet. About to find out. We're about to find out. So how about you just start reading, Brent? All right. I did have to point out that episode number, by the way, because this is our 100th episode. 100. We numbered things a little funny at the very yeah, beginning. That's true. So that makes 98 our 100th episode. But this is... Yeah, this is this is 100. You're right. Pretty big deal. Yeah. But we right. got a lot of text to cover, so enough enough messing around here. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Matthew 6, picking up where we left off. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Is that the is that the translation? Vermin? Vermin. Is that NIV? Yeah, NIV. Ooh, new NIV. Vermin. Killing it. I love it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Talking about heart again. Yep. Man, a good grab. I the like that. eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right. Great place to pause and pick up some teaching here. Like everything was, we were tracking okay as we, you know, okay, don't store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's been on enough, you know, um, refrigerator magnets and stuff like that. Like, okay, we feel pretty good about that. Being raised in the Christian world, we've heard that before. But I'll tell you the verse that, like you talked about being raised in like a Catholic school and stuff. And having all these questions. I'll tell you Not one. Catholic school, Catholic church. Catholic church. I never did go to Catholic school. That was never your jam. Okay. I missed out on that. All I right. Just the timing of everything. I yeah. never ended up going to and Catholic school. those are school. important distinctions too, mind you. I did I did take catechism classes. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I, all right. I got the full experience. Don't all get right. me wrong. So in the world of growing up and being taught these things, one passage that I always had a question about was this cryptic teaching that Jesus had in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount about... The eye is the lamp of the body. Like all kinds of things made sense, at least on some level. But this this verse or two was just, go ahead and read that verse again. Let's just review this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What is Jesus talking about, right? Well, this isn't actually a teaching on the need to see an optometrist. This is actually something quite different. This is uh, really well documented in rabbinical history. Uh, the rabbis, one, one of the, like a Hebrew idiom, it was like a Hebrew figure of speech. One of the things that they would talk about is uh, what was called ayin tova. Ayin tova means a good eye. Or there was also ayin ra. And ayin ra was a bad eye. And so the rabbis taught you either had a good eye or you had a bad eye. You either had ayin tova or you had ayin ra'ah. Now, the difference for that in, in Hebrew think was uh, the difference between it was all about how you saw the world. If you saw the world with a good eye, ayin tova, you chose to see things in a positive light. You chose to see things um, optimistically. You chose to see the best in the situation. I would say that if we t talk about trusting the story and starting the story in Genesis what, Brent? Genesis 1. A very, and we compared that to a lot of Christian doctrine that starts the story where? Genesis 3. 
I think one of the reasons why that teaching is so powerful for so many and so fundamental for so many, including myself, is it's all about ayin tova or ayin ra'ah. You're either viewing the story through the goodness lens and what God's done with a good world, and you have ayin tova, so you choose to see all the possibility. You choose to see what God is doing, or you see ayin ra'ah with a bad eye, and you see all the sin, all the disruption, all the corruption, all the things that have gone wrong, and you either see. But how we see the world greatly affects and and you pointed this out, Brent. What's the word that he, what have we been talking about? What's the word that popped out to you as we read it? Heart. Heart. This is about changing our inside. And Jesus says how you view the world is important in what it does, not just on your behavior level, but how you see the world greatly impacts who you are inwardly. Like if, he says, if, read the passage one more time, Brent. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Okay, stop. If the uh, if you have a good eye, ayin tova, your whole body will be, if you look at the world around you and you see the good, you see, Rob Bell always had this statement, he would say, I loved it, it was, what you look for, you will find. If you want to find the good, you'll find it. And if you want to find the bad, you'll find it. Um, and a lot of us have a tendency to look for the bad. And guess what we find everywhere we look? We look for the bad. But if we want to look for the good, you can find that too. If you have, eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, it says healthy. I don't like that translation. If it if it's good, if it's ayin tova, it'll fill your whole body with light. But, go ahead and finish. But if your eyes are unhealthy or bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if the light is darkness... That's going to impact who you are. And Jesus says, if you have ayin ra'ah, it fills you not with light, it fills you with darkness. And if that fills you with darkness, how big of a deal is that? How great is that darkness? So I don't know, the the new translation of the NIV does this. I'm not sure if the old one does or not, but it has footnotes on this healthy and unhealthy word, okay. or good and bad. It says the Greek for healthy implies generous. And the Greek for unhealthy implies stingy. Oh, boy, was that a good segue. That would have been great if we would have planned that. But that's exactly where I was headed okay. next. Okay, Okay. so say that one more time for our listeners. So the, the Greek for healthy, as I've been reading it, or good, implies generous. And the Greek for unhealthy or bad implies stingy. Okay, so I take back my comment about not liking this translation. The new NIV put it in the footnotes. That's great. Okay, that's fantastic. Because I haven't seen too many of those footnotes at all for this. But a great book to read for this, by the way. Uh, there's going to be a section in a book by Lois Tourberg. Um, and she wrote a book called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. It's actually her second of three books that she's written. But Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, there's a chapter in there where she talks about the good eye. And the next step is, okay, so we said the good eye. We said that's because you choose to see the world. How, Brent? In a, in a good light. In a good light. So in if I'm seeing... In a generous way, if I'm, I guess. Okay, bingo. If I am... Seeing the world in a generous light, if I'm seeing the world generously, if I'm seeing the world in a good light, well, what is it? It's going to give me a posture. Like we've talked about this at Real Life before, a posture of scarcity versus a posture of what? what's the other word we use, Brent? Scarcity or? Abundance. Abundance. If I have a good eye, it gives me a posture of abundance. I look at the world around me and I see the good. I see all the things that God is doing. I see all the possibility. I see all the potential. And so it makes me want to give of myself. A good eye, the rabbi is connected to generosity. 
because if you have a if you have ayin tova, you're going to be generous. You see the world through a generous eye. You see the world through a. It makes you a generous person. But if I have ayin tova, excuse me, ayin ra'a. Hopefully, I'm getting those straight throughout the whole podcast. If I have ayin tova, that's a good eye. It makes me generous. If I have ayin ra'a, that's a bad eye, and that makes me scarcity posture, a scarcity worldview. There's not enough. Everybody's going to let me down. Everybody's going to hurt me. And so the last thing I do is I give. It makes me very ungenerous. Yeah, I think I was kind of getting lost in the middle here because we were talking about the eye and right. light and darkness. Right. And I, I forgot, like the section before this is like treasures on earth versus treasures exactly. in heaven. The section after is, are you serving God? Or are you serving money? We're talking about we're talking about money. We're talking yeah. about treasure. We're talking right. about possessions, whatever. Exactly. See, these aren't just little snippets that, that Jesus, it's not like a Twitter feed where the all the little tweets and sound bites aren't connected. Everything is flowing out of this. And so Jesus starts by saying, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because you've got to have a good eye. Because if you don't have a bad eye, you're not going to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And you can't serve both masters. You're either going to serve money or you're going to serve God. And only one posture, only one eye, only one worldview is going to lead you to that posture or to that behavior, to that um, response. Only a good eye is going to do that. You have to trust. And and here we are, Brent. We're going all the way back to the beginning of session one. What is Jesus really talking about? He's talking about trusting the story. He's talking about Genesis 1. If you believe God's created a good world and he's not holding out on you and he's given you everything that you need. We, we did this all the way back in session one over and over and over again. Jesus is just doing what we did back there. I have nothing to lose. Of course I can lay my light down. Of course, this makes me generous. It's all about trusting the story. Trusting the story is Ayin Tova. Not trusting the story is Ayin Ra'ah. And we saw with Cain and Abel. We saw with, uh, well, even at the tree with Adam and Eve. We saw with Noah and the vineyard. We saw with the Tower of Babel. We saw what Ayin Ra'ah does. But Ayin Tova is what releases all that. Because you don't hold on to that stuff. Because you realize the whole earth is the Lord's and he's got my back. And I'm totally loved, and I'm totally valued, and I'm totally accepted. I'm trusting the story. I've got a good eye. Here you go. It's all yours. Anyway, unless you got any more thoughts, keep reading. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah. So Jesus goes where I I felt the passage going here. I don't know. As I thought about Ain Ra'ah and Ain Tova, what I was feeling in the background was the concept of worry. 
why do I have Ayin Ra'ah and not Ayin Tova? Because I'm worrying. I'm worrying that there's not enough. I'm worrying that it's not really good. I'm worrying that I'm not really loved, that I'm not really accepted. Ayin Ra'ah is directly connected to worry, and so that's exactly where Jesus goes next. He says you can't worry, because worry is going to steal your Ayin Tova. You cannot simultaneously worry and have Ayin Tova. If you're going to worry, it's going to give you Ayin Ra'ah, or the other way around. Either way you want to look at it. If you're going to have Ayin Ra'ah, it's only going to lead to worry. Ayin Ra'ah is never going to lead to generosity. It's only going to lead to worry. Because I don't see the possibility. I don't see the goodness. I don't see the potential. I have some notes here I want to just uh, read through in a teaching that would have any good Herodian wince. Like we talk about Jesus kind of confronting all the different worldviews. So many of us are Herodians. Like if we really take this passage seriously, like don't worry about what you're going to eat or where. Oof. The Herodian in me, which is, you know. Yes. Like uh, we talked about on previous podcast, I'm, I definitely identify pretty strongly with Pharisees. Yes. But boy, there's a lot of Herodian in there. Yes. <laughs> and it's feeling it on this yes. podcast. Yes. Don't worry about these things. Jesus affirms you can't serve God and money. You cannot be worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and then turn around and join God and partnering with the kingdom. Like those two things are never going to go together. Such an effort is impossible and results in idolatry. In fact, the only way to make heavenly investments... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The only way to do that is to see through a good eye, which is seen through God's eyes. I mean, which which eye does God have? Ayin Ra'ah or Ayin Tova? Oh, Tova, for sure. Obviously, Tova. So if we're going to see through God's eyes, we're going to be generous. Generosity is how a person lays up for themselves treasures in heaven, which makes for the question, what keeps us from being generous? Like if we just pause for a moment and say, why am I not more generous than I ought to be? Why am I, why do I not give more? Um, isn't, isn't the reason behind that really worry? Uh, we're worried that if we're generous with our resources, our time or our money, there won't be enough. That's Ayin Ra'ah. That's scarcity worldview. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus' very next teaching, uh, will be a point about worry. Worry is going to cripple our ability to be generous. Worry will stifle our desire to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Worry gives us bad eyes, but instead Jesus invites us to trust He invites us to trust that God has our best interests in mind, to trust that God knows what we need and will give us everything just at the right time. I mean, we learned this stuff, session one in the desert. Man will not live by every, by bread alone, but by every word. Like God knows, God knows how to give you what you need when you need it. Like these were things that God taught his people all the way back in the desert. He invites us to live by every word. There's no sense in worrying about clothes. God does a great job in clothing the earth. There's no sense in worrying about the things we need to consume. God feeds the birds of the air without any effort. Jesus invites us to trust the story. It's just what we said when we began this whole journey. Trusting the story is what gives us good eyes. So, makes sense. Ayin Ra'ah, Ayin Tova. Leading into worry, what's the next section here that we got to deal with? So one second before we okay. go on, I was just noticing at the end of this section on worry, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his zedeka, Yes. Which is the yes, the generosity, the caring for Absolutely. others. Yep. So it all fits with the theme. I'm telling you, once you start to see, once you start to see with a good eye, um, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice these same themes from beginning to end. Like, it is the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. I used to believe when I was a younger Bible student and even a Bible teacher, I used to believe the Sermon on the Mount had these chunks, like 
almost unrelated chunks. Like Jesus, like the teaching of the kingdom had different parts to it. What I'm realizing and what I've realized over the course of the last decade or so is it's not chunks. It's one continuous string of thought. And you, it's all built on it mercy. You compared it to Twitter earlier? Yes. Like unrelated to It's more like modern Twitter where it's a thread. It's a thread. And you have, to, you have to see the whole thing. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it definitely is. And I never appreciated that until I realized it. And now I'm realizing it's about mercy. It's about forgiveness. It's about loving all these things. It's not just about worrying about my groceries. It's what worry does to the way that I care about people. It's always about people, 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 people. All right, go ahead. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right. Ferocious pigs. Seems like Jesus is losing his mind again. Like all of a sudden we're into weird cryptic teachings, like... It was eyes and lamps before, but now it's like dogs and pigs and pearls. And we're like, what in the world is going on here? And but who has a plank in their eye? Like, plank, how do you even? Oh, my goodness. So there's like all these things that are making us think, all right, there must, we've learned one thing. It's that Jesus isn't losing his mind. There's more going on here. So there must be more going on. And in fact, there's a bunch of context behind this. It's important to know that in Jesus's day, uh, pagan nations, the Jews often refer to the pagans using the term dogs. And that sounds really derogatory. And I'm not trying to suggest that there wasn't a negative tone to it, but that was a figure of speech. Uh, Jesus, you might remember a story we'll talk about later about a woman in Syrophoenicia. And Jesus is trying to get away on a retreat. And she comes to him, she's a Gentile. And she says, hey, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus is like, it's not good to take, what does he say, Brent? Can you remember? Rough Uh, paraphrase. Take the children's bread. Oh, yes, and give it to the dogs. And give it to the dogs. Right. And you're like, man, Jesus. And we'll talk about that story later. But you're like, man, what a harsh thing. Oh, and we will talk about that story. Yeah, we'll, we will. I'm all excited just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and you're like, man, what a harsh thing to say. It doesn't have quite the stigma. It's kind of like bastard when we talked about mumser. They don't mean it in the same way and use it in the same way as we do in the English. But it's a figure of speech that means Gentiles. The same thing with pigs. And she embraces it, by the way. Yeah, she's She not, comes yeah. back and she's like, well, oh, even yeah, the dogs yeah, eat yeah. scraps yeah, from yeah, the table. Yeah. Like, she's... Yep. Like she's there. She's, yeah, she's, she's not like, communicating. Yeah. She totally gets, yeah, I understand that you guys call us dogs. I get it. Um, so, and, and pigs are the same way. Like one of the biggest exports of the Decapolis outside of grain was pigs. Um, and uh, so to, to talk about dogs and pigs is to, in their world, to a Jewish audience, to his disciples, they're going to realize he's talking about when he says that he's talking about Gentiles. Okay. So what in the world is he getting at when he says... Like, don't throw pearls before Gentiles. Like, what? Pearls is another Hebrew figure of speech. And a pearl is, and in fact, we talked about Tuerberg's book. In her first book, we already talked about book number two, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. That's where she talks about a good eye. In her first book, um, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, she talked about the idea of stringing pearls. Pearls in the Jewish mindset are teachings, wisdom. 
So if you're stringing pearls, what that means in a Jewish mindset is you're taking these teachings all throughout the scripture and you're taking a pearl from here and you're connecting it to a pearl over there and you're connecting it to a pearl. It's called stringing pearls. So pearls are, it's Torah, it's teaching, it's wisdom, it's rabbinic thought. That's pearls. And so when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before, well, let me just read the, I wrote this out. I really like how I wrote this. So I'll just read it. How about this? Knowing the context uh, to the teaching, a pearl is often used to discuss rabbinic uh, teachings. Jesus is saying that people who claim to speak for God cannot take and throw their morality before people who have not yet agreed to follow it. Like we don't get to just, well, this is what God says. This is what I know about the Bible. And now I'm going to make you follow this. I mean, how many parents struggle to do this with their children? How many friends, how many college students have I talked to where they write me and they're like, I have a friend who's doing this horrible thing. And I, and I got it. And I have to tell them, are they Jesus followers? No. Well, we have to be really careful about what we tell them because they didn't sign up to follow Jesus. So we can't use a Jesus morality code. To, you get the idea. Like, we can't take the things that we believe, the things that we're convicted of, the things that we stand on, and then throw them in front of people who don't stand on those things. You can't take Torah and throw it before the Gentiles and say, how dare you do this? Because in Leviticus, God said not to. Jesus says, I didn't sign up for Leviticus. Leviticus isn't their covenant. It's not, they never signed up to, to play by those rules. So you can't take your pearls and throw them before pigs Otherwise, they'll turn and tear you to pieces. Like, it's not going to work to, and again, I think of parents and kids, especially kids that are older and going through adolescence or college students, and they're, they're starting to push against the boundaries and push against the things that make their parents comfortable. And the parents' response is to just start throwing platitudes in front of their kid. And what the kid does is the kid reacts against it. The child says, not only am I not going to do that, I'm going to push against that with everything I have. You get the opposite reaction. And so uh, this seems like on one level a no-brainer, but I'm telling you, religious people, Christians, we do this all the time. We love to speak about how our views of righteousness and morality, good and bad, light and darkness, right and wrong, and we expect the world to listen to us. But why would the world listen to us? They haven't agreed to follow God's word as his measuring stick for their own lives. Again, this statement is not meant to carry a derogatory tone, but you cannot throw your teachings before swine and expect them to enjoy it. Quite the opposite. The swine might actually respond with hostility. This Jesus guy, he's got some pretty good things to say. So are you saying that we shouldn't get people to follow God? Not necessarily following God, but we ought to let our good deeds shine before men, that they would see the pearls, not hear the pearls, because I can't, a pig's not ready to wear pearls. Like, they don't know what to do with pearls. We can't give them just the pearls. The pearls, what we can give them is a witness. We can live in Shephelah. We can be city gates. We can be a light on a, a city on a hill and the light of the world. And when people see the world that we bring them, when we see us bringing shalom to chaos, and I'm not just talking about lifestyle evangelism. Like, I'm talking about something much more grounded and deeper and substantial than that. I'm not saying that we never use words. I'm not saying that we don't have a gospel to share. I'm not saying that you can't articulate pearls about the kingdom. But if we go about showing people what shalom looks like in the midst of chaos, well, then they're going to come and they're no longer going to be pigs getting pearls. They're going to be 
children with teaching or they're I'm trying to say things in a way that aren't derogatory to people that are lost and it feels icky. You well, struck me. I wasn't prepared to talk about this. So you struck me. I'm, uh, not, I'm unprepared with words. I just, you know, I want to save us some emails. From yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, wait a second. Wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's you, a really you good want point. People to approach the situation with an open heart. Exactly. If you walk into the room and throw down a bunch of demands, right. Everyone's going to be like, Whoa, who are you? Right. You have to establish a relationship and, and let them come to you. Correct. In an open way. Right. Because if they're not open to it, it's not going to do any good anyway. Which actually serves as a wonderful segue. King of segues, Brett oh. Billings. <laughs> um, because this is actually where Jesus, what is Jesus actually, like I just immediately went to the pigs and the dogs, but what is Jesus actually talking about here, Brent? What's the topic? Um, judgment. Judgment. Judging other people. Which is immediately what I was even wrestling with when I was choosing the words that I was using. Like, I didn't like the words I was using because I was talking about dogs and swine and children. And it put me in this... Well, I'm the one that has the pearls, and they're the ones that need to be minute. Like, I didn't like what was happening there. And that's because that's what Jesus is even getting at in this section of teaching, because he's talking about judgment, which which is a new teaching, right? I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with worry, right? <laughs> yeah, completely separated. Yeah, totally separate. No connection at all, even though there's a whole bunch of talk about what. What's the, what's the thing that keeps pulling this thing together? Jesus is still talking about what? About your heart. Your heart and what other body part? Uh, your, uh, we just got done in, at the beginning of the podcast talking about what your good, your eye, your eye. Go. And then in this section, he talks about having stuff in your, in your, in your eye, in your eye, planks and specks. See, Jesus is still talking about eyes because Jesus is still talking about the same thing. He's still talking about the good eye and the bad eye. He's still talking about worry and generosity, and it leads him into talking about judgment and judging other people. So it's important to, as we think about judgment, like we need to, we need to pause for just a moment and and ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying when he talks about don't judge others lest you be judged? I mean, we love to quote this, right? Anytime somebody tries to hold us accountable, anytime anybody, a brother or a sister tries to come to us and brother and sister in the Lord, and they try to say like, Hey, like, are you doing okay over here? Cause I feel like, and we're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Hey, don't judge, man. Don't judge lest you be judged. Like there's this like weird thing. And you're like, wait, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to look at your addiction that's ruining everybody's life and try to seek for your wholeness. And I'm not like, I'm not allowed to say something when I see you. Like, I feel like there's all these other Bible verses. How do those things jive with this? And so we need to look at judgment. There are three concepts of judgment in the first century when Jesus utters this teaching. The first concept of judgment is civil judgment. So that's, what is that, Brent? What is civil judgment? Uh, like the kind of thing you would go to a, a court for. Right. You got a court and at the at the court, especially in our world, there's a judge and the judge passes judgments. That's a particular kind of judgment. So we have to ask ourselves, is this what Jesus means? Do not do not go to court because it, is he saying a judge shouldn't do his job? Obvious answer? No. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about judges doing their civil duty of performing legal civil judgment. Okay, so another kind of judgment when you use this word judgment in the Greek, in their world, uh, would be the judgment of discernment. So taking something, looking at it, and, and trying to discern, judge whether something is good or bad, whether something is light or darkness. This is what we said God gave us the tabernacle for. Like he wanted to teach us how to discern between the holy and the common, between light and darkness, between right and wrong. Now we're supposed to grow up beyond that. We're supposed to learn from that and take it somewhere. 
but he was trying to teach us how to discern between, which is what you're doing when you're looking at a friend who is ruining their life or acting destructively. And you have, you don't get to do this with everybody, but if you have the kind of relationship where you do get to go up and have a conversation with somebody, because you are close, you are accountability partners, you are best friends, and you are the type of person that needs to walk up and be like, hey, Brent, you need to you need to chill out. Like the way you're talking to your wife, not cool, man. Like you do have relationships that ought to do that. That's the kind of judgment that comes from discernment. Is uh, well, one of my favorite rabbinical statements. The rabbi said, uh, "In the beginning, God separated light from darkness, and that is forever our task as well." Like ever since the time that God made creation, He asked us to join Him in separating light from darkness, to discern between right and wrong, good and bad, truth and falsehood. Like that is the thing we're called to. So, is Jesus saying it's not okay to discern? Obvious answer, Brent. No. No. A little less obvious, because it gets a little tricky. It sounded like it had a lot of potential. Yeah, it had for, potential. For what's going on. Right. But it, there's, it's not quite the discernment thing. I am allowed to look at the world around me. I have to. I am called to look at the world around me and do my best job to discern what is good and right and holy and pure and common and sacred. I have to do that. So there must be something else that Jesus is driving at. And that is the last way that you view Judgment. Judgment can also be viewed in their world as um, discerning the value of a thing. Like if you bring uh, you bring a sacrifice to the temple and you want to redeem it, you want to you want to give you want to buy it back from the Lord and take it home, but you need to give God the. They're going to, excuse me, they're going to judge the value of that sacrifice. They're going to determine its value, which in some cases determining value is totally cool. But when you determine the value of people, you have now crossed the line to something that you are not allowed to do. Um, uh, I'll just read my notes I wrote here. Finally, there's a judgment that determines the value of a person or a thing. In this case, Jesus is clearly addressing our judgment of people. Jesus is reminding us that we are not free to pass judgment on the value of another human being. Only God can do this job. I would go so far as to argue in the context of Jesus's teaching on dogs and pigs that this seems to be directed right at the Jews' temptation to pass a value judgment on the pagan nations. You cannot do that. You, a mere mortal, cannot decide who has worth and who does not. Which is why language starts to bother me a moment ago. Because it was like, I, that's not the judging that I can take part in. I don't get to decide I'm the educated one. I'm there blind, but I can see. Like, I don't get to make that call. I don't sit in the seat. There's only one person that sits in the seat that could ever make that kind of a judgment call and see, and he's going to see with the purest Ain Tova. So I can never take that, uh, that, that job, that duty upon myself. That's the judging that, that Jesus says we can't. Don't judge. You don't get to look at that and be like, well, that person's a pig. I have the pearls, but that person's a pig. Uh, I, I'm, I'm walking on the path, but that person is a dog. Like you don't, you don't get to pass that kind of judgment. But like we said, th- this is totally separate from the worry issue, right, Brent? We suggested that these were connected. Mm-hmm. We yes. suggested that in fact the I talk. Uh, so what in the world does this talk of judgment have to do with the talk about good eyes and worry? So I want to ask you a question, Brent. 
uh, why do we value, why do we pass value judgments on other people? And I actually want to ask some follow-up questions. So don't answer that one yet. Uh, let me ask you, let me ask you this. What is the opposite of judgment? What has Jesus been talking about through this entire sermon? Uh, hasn't he been talking about what? What's the opposite of judgment, Brent? Mm, generosity. Okay. Or yes, I mean, definitely that. Uh, put it in more like, imagine somebody standing before you. They've done something wrong. Forgiveness. Okay, forgiveness, right? Like the opposite of judgment, that person that's wronged you, you could either pass judgment on them or you could forgive them. Hasn't that actually been the thing that Jesus has been talking about the whole thing? So let me ask you this question. Let me rephrase. My first question was, why do we pass value judgments on people? Why do we judge others? And what I really want to ask you is, is this, why don't we forgive people? What is it that keeps us from forgiving other people? Brent, shoot me your best. Give that some thought and tell me why, why don't we forgive people? Should be, should be easy, right? Just forgive people. They've wronged me. I have Jesus in my heart. Maybe they haven't forgiven us in the past. Okay. And so it's like, well, if you're not going to forgive me, why would I forgive you? All right. All right. That could be it. Let's, let's keep going. Stick some more. Um, I mean, I think this, I think what I'm gunning for is in there. It's in that. Why don't we forgive people? Uh, we might, we might need to, uh, I don't know. It could be the opposite where if I forgive you now, then I don't have anything to use against you later. Oh, I think we're getting a really warmer here, right? I think, uh, here's my hunch and it's not something I've come up with. I had teachers teach me this. Uh, well it's in Dallas Willard's book. So we'll link Dallas Willard's book. All right. Uh, divine conspiracy. He talks about how all these ideas flow together. So what did Jesus just talk about prior to this? Brent, what was the topic? Uh, worry. Worry. I think we judge people because of worry. I think we're worried. Why don't we forgive other people? Why would we judge them rather than forgive them? The thing that Jesus has been asking us to do this whole Sermon on the Mount. Well, we don't forgive people because we're worried that they're not going to get what they deserve. Like if I forgive them, if I forgive them, they might, they're just going to get off. They're just scot-free. Like they're never going to have to, there's going to be no restitution. Like we're worried that if we just forgive them, that it's going to be okay. That what we're saying is that whatever they did to us or to somebody else was okay. Like we, like we can't forgive people. We don't forgive people because we are worried. But what does Jesus talk about next? Go ahead and read the next passage, Brent. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus sums up the law and the prophets by saying it's about people. I used to feel like this teaching was just its own separate teaching. We just got done talking about worry. We just got done talking about judgment. And now I have a passage on, if I ask, seek, and knock, God's going to answer my prayers. But this isn't just like a standalone teaching on prayer. Like this isn't just ask, seek, knock, and prayers are answered. These are very specific prayers. Because this whole teaching is going in, it's, it's all being taught together. You have to have a good eye. Because if you don't have a good eye, you're going to worry. 
And if you're worrying, then you don't have a good eye. You're not going to be generous and you're going to judge other people because you're convinced that they're not going to get what they deserve. So rather than that, why don't you just ask God to take care of it? Ask, seek, and knock. This isn't just any old prayer request. This is God saying, when you're worried about whether or not people are going to get their comeuppance, that's an Aaron Couchism, if they're not going to get what's coming to them, why don't you just give that back to God? Because God knows, and then what's that last portion of the passage? God knows how to give good gifts. Which person, if their son asked, what father, if a son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Like God's going to give you the good gifts that you need. This is all one string of pearls. It's all one teaching, one thought, one Twitter thread, if you will. The Twitter thread on the mount. Um, Your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts. If you ask for one thing, he's not going to give you what you don't need. No father would do that. Maybe this teaching about getting what we pray for isn't really about getting what we pray for. Maybe it's about praying for what God wants to do in the situation. Uh, If I could paraphrase the teaching of Jesus here, I think I would paraphrase it this way. I've written this out. Be generous. Worry will kill your generosity. And do not judge the worth of other people whom you think deserve punishment. Instead, ask God to do the right thing because he knows how to give perfect gifts. Trust God to do the right thing. Stop worrying and be generous to others, especially the dogs and the pigs. There's some relevant stuff for us to wrestle with in this passage. I find the religious people today continue to struggle with the same sin the people who listened to Jesus struggled with thousands of years ago. We haven't really changed that much. Here's some closing thoughts I have, Brent. I believe we need to come to grips with the many ways we serve the God of money and where we make our investments. I believe we need to realize that our worry cripples our generosity. I believe our worry about others leads us to judging their worth. I don't think we can see that any more clearly than we can see it in our worldview right now without taking political sides. Both sides of a political, a socio-political conversation right now are just bathed in worry. We're all afraid about the other people. One group is afraid about this group coming in and taking everything and ruining everything. The other group is afraid that that group's going to screw everything up for everybody else. Like, no matter who we are on the spectrum, we are crippled with worry. That worry causes us to judge other people. And what I found in dialoguing with people who have a different worldview from me is if I will put my worry aside, it will help me not judge them. And if I don't judge them, it will help me not worry as much as I sit down with them and I discover that, in fact, they're more human than I ever realized. They're not nearly the dogs and the pigs I thought they were. And if, in fact, if I can give them the benefit of the doubt, I may even be able to work with them. So treat others as you would want to be treated for that is what the law and the prophets is all about. I believe we could use a little bit of trust in a father who knows how to give good gifts. My final statement, I believe trusting the story still changes everything. Can't say it any better than that. Hmm. Probably could, but hey, good enough for now. Well, I can't anyway. (laughs) We'll leave it as an exercise to the listener to come up with something better than that. Yeah, read Dallas Willard. He writes it probably better than I say it. I mean, he's the man. So I I ain't going to touch Dallas Willard and the things that I can do, but 
he 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 wrote it really well and showed this string of this thread of thought so there you go all right so uh get yourself in a discussion group you can find those at baymodiscipleship.com wrestle through this uh this teaching and you know it's kind of it's kind of tough because we're tearing this entire sermon on the mount into a whole string of episodes but right but really try to you know try to look back and consider it as one big hole we try to bring it back around but you know oh man yeah we're going to try to do that at the end of the sermon we'll try to look back and be able to just summarize that one big thought process there we go all right something to look forward to in the coming episodes uh so that does it for this episode of the baymont podcast we'll talk to you again soon